photography chat with Merlin. Photography chat with Merlin. And with Ethan. Hello. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Photography Chat. Uh, we're in uh, season three, episode forty. Is it? Yeah, episode forty, and uh, we are here with Ethan, aka Camera Dactyl. Hey, thanks for having me on. Of course, man. It's uh, it's awesome to see you again. Um, you know, this this time, unfortunately. Um, you know, we're, we're virtual, but, um, you know, thank you for inviting me into your studio. Um, the other week there, it was, or I guess you're more, your your mad, uh, mad lab slash workshop. Um, it was really, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you want to take a moment to say, uh, say hi to the gang and, uh, let them know a, a bit about who you are. Uh, sure. Hey, my name is Ethan. I'm uh, Camera Dactyl on Instagram and CameraDactyl.com. I make a bunch of 3D printed cameras. We can take a look at some of those later on some of these 3D printers and some of the other tools around my shop, which is basically just a garage in my backyard in Albuquerque. Yeah, I feel like Dan is uh, calling you the 120 millimeter king. Yeah, I've been uh, pushing some conspiracy theories uh, for profit on the internet here and there. <laughs> I, I hope I'm not too disruptive with them. Well, I mean, it's better than <clears throat> trying to do the like underwear gnomes method of, of of business. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. No, but I feel like I'm about to learn a thing or two about marketing from Merlin. Yeah, so this is something that I learned from South Park and uh, doing the work that I do where I work with a lot of different businesses. um, I've noticed that a lot of businesses out there, like legitimate businesses, tend to use uh, this this method, which is called the underpants gnome method. And so there's an episode of South Park where there are these gnomes and the gnomes steal underpants. It's kind of their thing. And no one understands why their underwear is going missing. And then they find the gnome lair where there's just this mountain of underpants in the lair. And they're like, why are you stealing everyone's underpants? And they're like, well, this is our business. And they're like, well, what, what do you do with them? And they're like, they kind of shrugged. And then they brought out like a, like a cheese board that had like, you know, their, their business plan on it. And it said, step one, steal underpants. Step two, question mark. Step three, profit. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it works for some people, but um, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious. So, like, how did you get into the whole 3D printer game and all of that? Um, uh, I guess I've probably told this story like uh, the first time I could go anywhere, but uh. I was making some like gear canning machinery and like industrial automation uh, machinery, mostly like programming Arduinos and such. And um, I I had a 3D printer uh, around uh, to do something else with that was staring me in the face for many months while I waited on other components to come in from China. And uh, it's just like 
in a past life, I had bought and sold cameras professionally and uh, for a long, long time. And I kind of like knew a little bit about cameras and I thought maybe I could 3D print like a decent uh, field camera. And I, that, I mean, I'm the, I'm the type of guy that gets a little obsessed with an idea and then continues. <laughs> and uh, a couple of months later, I had one camera and I just like, I put it on. I, I had like one of these things back in the day, but like a very old, bad one. And, um, yeah, I put that camera on Kickstarter and I sold like a, a little bit more than I thought I would. And then I had to buy like 10 printers to, um, fill all of the orders before like, you know, five years from then. And, uh, yeah, that original camera took something like, I don't know, 140 hours to print just, just the parts for each camera, let alone assembly. And, Holy shit. um, like, like if I mean those printers were not nearly as good as these printers. They were largely homemade. Like they, <laughs> they were these kits. Um, the electronics were good, but all of the frames were sort of uh, laser cut uh, acrylic. If you were lucky, or wood, and they would warp. So the first thing you would do is like use your best printer to print stiffeners, and then put them. Anyway, I had ten of these things by the time I was done, and, and kind of started taking requests and ideas and. Um, yeah, it kind of, kind of grew from there. It was way more fun than, um, making like, uh, part of a machine that, that counts cans going into a label, label, labeler or the like. And, uh, yeah, it kind of grew from there. I've, I've bought and sold a bunch of printers since moved this arm around. We've got a bunch there, uh, some behind the camera. But, um, yeah, it was like a kind of, kind of like a, I don't think it was like my um, intention to become Albuquerque's largest print farm. Uh, and I'm not sure that I am anymore, but at some point I definitely was <laughs> uh, back in the old Western days of 3d printing, but like kind of a, a thing that grew, you know, I'd like invent something and try and sell it on the internet and a bunch of people would buy it and I would need to buy a bunch of printers to make all of those parts. And, um, yeah. So here, here I am now. I, I 3d printed stuff. That's my job. Dude, I, I think you should just still own it. Like, you know, make make that part of your brand. Maybe have some, like, shirts or something. Like, you know, camera dad. Or, billionaire. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, Albuquerque's largest printing farm. You know, it, it, it's like... Well, I don't know that that's like, true. I've sold a lot of those printers. But also, I think there are more facilities opening up that are, like, industrial ones, which would be good for me. I would like to elsewhere one day but that's fair but i think you can still take the brand it's like when people are like world's best cup of coffee it's like probably not mm-hmm. but you know mm-hmm. they make that claim so you know it's true i have made some bold claims you know uh, my boldest claim i think is the world's best pencil holder which i really in my heart genuinely believe that it is <laughs> uh, but i also don't think like people in, in the history of mankind that put all of that much uh, thought and effort into pencil or, you know, maybe I just like, I missed the heyday of pencil. Well, I, I think, uh, um, I think a bell would disagree with you there. He says that you are number one, uh, Albuquerque's number one pencil holder manufacturer. That's true. Although I don't manufacture them. I make, I'm, I'm a designer now of pencil holders. Uh, the only way to get them is to print them yourself on a, 3D printer like this for like 160 bucks on Amazon or 
Oh, okay. Well, so you're, you're no, like, pencil holders. Take, sorry, guys. The the pencil holders take what? Sorry. Oh, like like 100, 150 hours to print. Like I would I would have to like I would have to sell these pencil holders for hundreds and hundreds of dollars. <laughs> like it, they're really beautiful, and you only need one probably, maybe two. We'll, we'll talk about the planet or, or like the the solar system's best pencil holder coming out later later, <laughs> later this month. Um, so, but. Uh, it takes a very long time to print. And for me, like that takes up farm time and daytime and I'm, I'm running a business here, you know, like, and I'm, I'm not going to start selling $600 pencil holders. Yeah. Um, and so I started selling the files for $7, I think. Yeah. $7. And then people can just print them themselves. Like, like, hey, you know, it's, I'm, it's, I'm printing here. I'm printing here. <laughs> hey, um, um, Nick, Nick wants to know, do you hang out with normal farmers and share tales from your day? Definitely not. Uh, no, actually that's, that's not true. Uh, I had a friend Ben who had, <laughs> he had 0.9 acres. The city had commandeered the tenth of an acre around like this water switching thing. But uh, he had a bunch of goats and cats and Chickens and turkeys and a couple of weird birds that were ultimately too stupid to be set free. Oh, and there were roving peacocks in the neighborhood. Uh, I used to hang out at his farm, but then uh, he had two kids and COVID happened. And, you know, we text sometimes, but I haven't seen his new farm up up in the mountains. That's fair. Uh, shout out to New 55 Film who just joined here. We got to get you guys on to do an episode to talk about what you're working on oh, over there. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Um, where is it here? So, uh, new old Polaroid wants to know how many printers are behind you. Uh, fourteen behind me, and then like half a printer in spare parts, and then two printers over there. So, give me give me sixteen printers. Holy shit, man! Um, I was up to like 25 or 28 at some point when I was making mongoose bodies. The cool thing about the Ender 3 is it's like a ubiquitous thing. You can buy and sell them like, like a, it's a, it's a fungible good, right? Like just a one Ender 3. You can always buy them for 175 to $209 and you can always sell them for 140 to $175. And sometimes people will even pay you more because you set the thing up and leveled it and made sure it was printing great. And so when I like really needed to make a lot of parts, uh, the mongoose took so many printer hours just to make like the housings of, of that thing. Um, I just like, I bought enough printers that I could fill this back desk and I ran them until I had like buckets and buckets and no floor space around the shop because there were these big boxes of printed parts. And then as soon as I uh, was done with that fiasco, I sold all of the printers so I could get the space back to assemble <laughs> some other thing. That's wild, uh, man. Um, so I, the point of the story is everybody should have a 3D printer. Like the worst comes to worst, you're going to lose like 40 bucks, man, but you gain uh, a lifetime love of 3D printer. <laughs> so I, I don't have one yet, so it, it seems like uh, that's, that's going to be something I'm going to have to add to the arsenal here soon. Yeah, absolutely. You are uh, 100% a person that needs a 3D printer. 
I like I I feel that uh, deeply about you from our our <laughs> brief meeting. It was a fantastic yeah. meeting, man. Like you know, your your lab is yeah. is uh, is something else, and and getting to share some time with you was uh, was really cool. Like you know, it's it's not often you get to uh, hang out with such a brilliant mind. Oh, that's extremely generous of you. You know, I think I'm like a pretty smart guy, but the real, the real like key that I have that like most people don't have is I have all day, every day to think about this like weird esoteric thing that like, you know, 13 of us are into, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but, um, yeah, it's, it's wild. And I, I think like a lot of it is, um, it looks a lot of it looks like magic until you've seen it. And like, what I do is not really like, it's not like, like ballet. I don't need like muscle memory or training. You just need to look it up on YouTube. And so like at the point where you look it up on, on YouTube, like you can, uh, like, like none of it is like anybody can learn to do what I, <laughs> what I do, you know? Um, and, and they can use their skills to make unique new things to sell to the world instead of new versions of, what I make or well, whatever put me out of business. But like the point is anybody can learn, um, like there's free online ad software. There's models to download for free. There's models to download for a whole lot of money at hammerdactyl.com. But boy, are they worth it. The world's best <laughs> if you're in the pencil holder market. But you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I just think, um, it's one of those things that like a lot of people should just have. Like they should have some contact with it. They should see the process like start to finish. And it just makes sense to so many people. That's totally fair. Um, JP says that he printed the 120 millimeter film holder and it has made his photos look amazing as fuck. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a dubious claim, but I will take it. Thank you, JP. Um, yeah, I started, <laughs> I started printing, actually, I don't think I sell them in my store, uh, but they're in the file pack, like uh, 120 millimeter, uh, film cases. I don't know why, like, I guess <laughs> I, I, I feel like a medium uncomfortable about, um, you know, being known as like the conspiracy theorist type man of the analog film community, but like sometimes... Sometimes it was like just a, a, a fun time to misstate something on the internet and like watch as people like correct me. <laughs> um, and so like I just kind of started flipping in that error, uh, like 120 millimeter into things into products now or files that you can download at cameradactyl.com. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it, I guess I did it accidentally at first and then recognize this pattern and I try not to abuse it. And I hope you and your listeners won't abuse it, but I'll give it to you anyway. Some, uh, brilliant marketing conspiracies. Is that if you say something on the internet that is incorrect, like immediately people will let you know. And I, you know, I really don't think that that comes from a place of controlling. Like I have this thing when, when somebody says something that I believe to be incorrect, like sometimes I write them a letter. And you know, like that's how uh, Nick Lyle of the Homing Camera Podcast and I became friends. He said something that I disagreed with and could not help myself, <laughs> and had to write him an email. <laughs> Ultimately, he was actually right about the thing 
<laughs> I'm a three-page email about. Um, but like I, you know, I try and get that that people can't can't help themselves because like they they love it, and um, I've been there, and so sometimes it's like kind of fun to play with them too. <laughs> I, I've got a very important question for you. Um, do you prefer 120 millimeter film or 110 millimeter film? What is what is like? What is? Are we talking 110? Like, what are we? Where I'm, are we going? I'm just I'm just trying to like amplify the trolling that you've you've started here. <laughs> but we've already established that I was trolling. Like I I where. <laughs> Um, I give you permission to make your own 120 millimeter product. I mean, I don't own it. I, I don't think I, I'm definitely not the first troll to play with it. That's um, fair. I, I think that would be, be funny troll. to like make some shirts to say like size matters 120 or 110 millimeter. Like, you know, I think um, that's a really good idea for you to do. <laughs> um, where is it here? Nicole says hi, Ethan. Um, and then oh, hello, Abel has a question for you. Can you tell us a bit about the camera making community? Any cool projects that we should be checking out these days? Oh boy. Um, I got a disappointing answer and Abel could probably do a better job than me. Is that like, uh, I got like a hernia fix. I'm totally fine, but I just kind of spent the last two months, uh, like not, not really engaged with too much or, or moving around all that much. Um, so yeah, like what, what is going on in the film community right at the second? Like, okay. So usually I get on all of the podcasts and people make fun of me about it when I have like a thing that I got to promote. I like, you know, I think we can, I think we can talk about, um, everybody should own a 3d printer. We can talk about like, uh, uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about a lot of things, but like I, I have no, um, cameras to sell you and I have no idea what cameras are being sold. I saw some like, uh, there's like a half frame camera and I think Jason Lane, uh, designed some lenses for it. I got to read all about that. That he's on a bunch of podcasts, but I mean, sorry. That's all right. No, nothing wrong with that. Um, I had a question for you. What, made you decide to go through the madness of creating a 20 by 24 instant camera? Oh, um, you know, like maybe, maybe like a little poor decision making, (laughs) maybe just like curiosity, you know, I'm my own boss and I like, I try and keep it between, between the lines. Like, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I got a business to run here, you know, but like sometimes you just, you wind up so okay. Um, when I was when I was nineteen, I had dropped out of college to become a photographer and was incredibly unsuccessful. And my friend Heath was actually really good at college, but was feeling unfulfilled, and he had dropped out. And we were hanging out a lot together, and like every day, we would start to talk about like how you would build a blimp. This started like I had an uncle who was trying to get his daughter to make a Girl Scout like balloon for a float, but he and I kind of took it to how you would build a blimp. And, you know, the conversation lasts for about five minutes and then you're like, okay, we're not going to build a blimp. 
mm-hmm. and and then you know a week later you find yourself 15 minutes down that conversation every day before you get to we're, we're never going to build a blimp and then like after a month where like every day you're sort of like discussing like how how you might build a blimp for real like if you had to do it in the situation you were in now <laughs> not even like a MacGyver hypothetical how would you do it and and at some point we just like okay like, <laughs> we gotta do it <laughs> and um, we built like what was probably like the worst idea of my life certainly the worst idea that I like actually followed through on and my friend and I like like sort of accidentally conned a bunch of our other friends into uh, like moving to this airstrip in Texas and living in um, like a tent city where we just had like a barbecue grill and an outhouse and an airplane hangar and we uh, built like one of the least safe blimps of all time. <laughs> um, I haven't really talked about this much, but like, the, uh, I learned in that, you know, I was 19 years old, 20. Um, I learned in that experience to like bite off less than I can chew usually. And, and like to try, like it's often the most, um, you know, like good business idea to do the thing that you like, like making, um, camera finders and grips or like do the thing that, that you can just see the, the whole thing start to finish in your head by the time you've thought about it. I want to make a finder that just tells you the angle that you can see, you know, like, okay, cool. It's not going to impress anybody. It's a useful thing. Um, people will buy them. Uh, people will enjoy them. But, but like, if you do that every day, like, what is the point? And, and like, sometimes I think it's like squeezing like a balloon of your hopes and dreams, like down into a business bubble. Shoots out sometimes, and you gotta got to act up and find out and uh, build yourself a big old camera. The other thing is, I, I here we're gonna try. Hopefully, I won't break this mount over there. Um, that thing is like a Volkswagen sized laser cutter that I picked up during the pandemic, uh, and so I could finally um, build the the components the way I wanted to build them in my ideal way for that camera, which. You know, in some way or another, I had been thinking about for the last twenty years. But like, mm-hmm. you know, saying to myself, I would, but I would, I would never, I would never build that blimp, right? It's it's impractical. It's six feet long. It weighs eighty five pounds with a back on it. Uh, it requires fifteen hundred pounds of strobe equipment. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I'm glad I did it. I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day again. I kind of feel like it will one day. It uh, it lives up here, um, on that side over over there. But um, yeah, so, sometimes because I don't have a boss with good reason. You know? That's fair. So um, effectively, just because you could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. sometimes we got to do these things that remind us we're still alive. Um, hello, this is well, Kyle. Can I uh, sorry, what's that? Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, no. Yeah, uh, what, what were you saying there? Oh, wait, wait. Merlin, what was like the last 
uh, can we can we get deep on this podcast? Of course. What, what is the yeah, last like um, like irresponsible thing that? Well, I, I don't want to say irresponsible thing, but like, what what was that? The last thing. So like, okay, so when we met, um, I had found out about your show. I think when Nick Collingwood uh, was on your show, and I watched a bunch of them here, like uh, in the in the back catalog since. And, um, I heard in some group chat that you like kind of on a whim were driving through all of California and then over to Texas. Like it was like, you know, uh, I, I feel like you might sometimes decide to take on like, um, an endeavor that might be more than you can do. Not that the driving was, that was an impressive, <laughs> but it, it's like edging on like exhaustion, you know? Yeah. So like, I'm still, um, I'm still kind of recovering from, from the trip a little bit. Cause it was, it was a bit bonkers. Like I did, it was like, fuck 11, over 11,000 kilometers in two weeks, which I think is like, I don't know, like 7,000 miles or something like that. Like just a lot, like more, more than mm-hmm. some people drive in a year I did for a vacation. Um, which was kind of bonkers. Um, there was a few 12 hour days in there, which I've learned like really borderline pushes the limits. Cause like I, I'm in, I'm getting into my forties now, but my mind still thinks I'm in my twenties. And so there's a lot of moments where I'm like, Oh yeah, I could totally do that. And then I try to do it. And then my body's like, you fucking idiot. Like, you know, now we're going to need a lot of time to recover from this. So I wouldn't say that the road trip was irresponsible, but it was a little irresponsible. Like, you know, things, things got a little bonkers and, um, I had heard of some of your work, but hadn't, hadn't followed much of it. And then at Policon, everyone's like, yo, this, like this Ethan guy wants you to go see him. And I'm like, well, stranger wants me to come to his workshop in the middle of the night in Albuquerque. How could I say no to that? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I make that offer to a bunch of people like here and there, like as, as famous people that I know, uh, like openly pass through Albuquerque on, on Instagram. I send them crazy messages. I think I, did I tell you the story about Mark Marin driving past my house. Uh, did he actually come in? Oh, hell no. Oh, okay. <laughs> but he drove on Instagram live past my house two blocks away. Uh, and was like, I'm so bored. I'm in Albuquerque. I got nothing to do. What should I do to kill time? And I'm sitting at my kitchen table and like, uh, you know, like I'm not going to message Mark Marin. Like he's famous. I'm, you know, a guy in his garage, but like also he was two blocks away looking for something to do. And I've listened to that podcast since its second year out. And, uh, it's like kind of a big part of, uh, all of the business that I've done for a decade. Like really, like one of my guys, you know, yeah. uh, but I, I have yeah. no reason to reach out to him otherwise, but he was just like right, right next to my house. So I sent him like this creepy message, like you're Mark Marin. I, you know, I, I know you don't know me, but you're you know, a very, uh, important guy in my life. Do you, do you want to, <laughs> do you want to turn to my garage, garage? Right now? <laughs> Yeah. You're, you're a couple of blocks from my house. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes you can't help yourself, but you know, you just try and be cool on the internet. <laughs> No, some, sometimes you can't help yourself. And, and I do like, I have some executive dysfunction issues for sure. Um, 
And like, I mean, I don't regret any of the poor choices I've made because I'm not dead yet. And poor choices lead to interesting stories. Um, but I think one that always stands out to me is I was wandering around Toronto um, testing a Roly XF35 that a friend had emailed, or had, not a friend had mailed me, not emailed, you can't fucking email a camera. But, well, unless it's 3D printed from cameradactyl.com, right? Um, was, that a, was that a good plug? He, he told me to do it, otherwise I wouldn't see my family again. But, um, <laughs> so... I'm testing this Roly XF35 and I'm trying to burn a roll through it so I can drop it off at the lab uh, to get same day processing uh, just so I can see if it works before I start taking the camera seriously. And it's, it's winter in Toronto. So it's like, it's a little slushy. There's some snow out and I'm walking past this um, construction site. They're building a condo tower because we need more fucking condos in the world. Um, and I'm taking some pictures of like something on the ground and this guy's like, yo man, you want to see like VIP? And I'm like, what? He's like 20 bucks, man, VIP. And I'm like very confused. Like what, why is this construction worker offering me like VIP? What does he want 20 bucks for? And he's like, yo man, just get in the fucking elevator. Okay. And I'm like, okay. And I get, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I get in this random construction elevator with this man who I've never known before. And then another man who I didn't know got in the elevator and they closed the doors and he's like, yo, I'm going to take you to the top and you like the best view in the city up there, man. And I'm like, that sounds cool. But then I'm also thinking, fuck, I just got in an elevator with two strangers. No one knows I'm here. And what the fuck am I doing right now? And so he takes me to the top. It's a beautiful view, like stunning view. I got some really cool photos from up there, uh, but it's a fucking construction site. So I'm wandering around and I, I wear skate shoes. Like I, I've got a really big problem um, with, I'm a, I'm a huge creature of habit. So I've been wearing the same skate shoe for like, oh, fuck, I don't know, like 25 years, maybe, maybe We're longer. Talking We're talking airwalk. No, nope. it's so... I, I like I like S Excel OGs. They're they're a nice big fat skate shoe. Um I have wide feet, so it's like I have a problem with narrow skate shoes. And they've just been like the most comfortable, consistent skate shoe that uh I've I've found. So I like religiously buy these up when I can find them. And so it's like, you know, I've I've gone through like dozens and dozens of pairs of these these shoes. And so that's what I'm wearing at a fucking construction site. And so I'm like, I'm wandering around and I step down this one aisleway and get a fucking nail right in the middle of my foot. And like, it's, it's like dead set in the middle, right? Like planted in my foot, like in the meaty part of it. And I'm like, oh fuck, it hurts a little bit, but not a lot yet, but I'm trying to like shake it off. <laughs> I'm like, it's not shaking off. And I'm kind of like, I'm kind of figuring, I'm like, fuck, how am I going to get this goddamn plank with this like nail off of my foot? And I'm like looking around for something to sort of like, you know, secure it on because it's in an awkward spot. I can't step on it with my other foot and like, you know, pull it off. And this guy's like, I hear this guy being like, bro, bro, bro. You, and he's like, yo, man, what the fuck? 
this is why you gotta wear steel toe booze when when you're on a fucking construction site and i'm like oh sorry when i woke up this saturday morning that you know i'm just gonna go fuck around and do whatever in toronto i totally didn't think of the fact that i'd be wandering around a wild construction site and like sorry my my ignorance of not putting steel toe boots on i'm like but can you help me get this fucking board off of my foot and so, like, he ripped the board out, which did not feel very nice. And then he's like, yo, we got to get out of here, man. Like, the boss is calling me. And I'm like, what the fuck? Why is this my problem now? Like, you're the one, you're the strange man that brought me up to this place. And he's like, we got to get the fuck out of here. Like, I'm in trouble. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so we're, we're all three of us, this, this, like, you know, this, this guy and, like, the other dude who's pushing a fucking mop around um, are in, back in the elevator and we're going down and he's like, he's looking through the crack in the construction elevator. He's like, oh shit. Oh fuck, man. Oh fuck. The boss, the boss is right. Oh fuck. The boss is right there. And so he like says to the other dude, he's like, yo man, uh, I'm going to take him on two and we're going to try and sneak out the back. You go down there and tell the boss I had to take a shit. And so I'm like, this is super fucking weird, man. Um, so we get out on the second floor and it's like mission impossible shit. Like he's, he's poking around corners and he's like, okay, come, come, come. Yeah, no, no, go. And then he's like, oh, stop, stop, stop. No, no, no. And he's like, wait right here. I gotta go make sure it's clear. And so he like fucks off into like this and just leaves me. I'm in this weird corridor and like a half built condo building really questioning my life choices. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why do I do this to myself? Like, I'm a grown-ass adult with, like, a real job and, like, responsibilities, but then I do dumb Wait, this shit. this is, like, like a recent or like... Uh, this was, like, th- uh, three years ago. Like, three or, three or four years okay. ago. So, it's, like, you know, my, my ability to make poor choices has not lessened as I've gotten older. In fact, I think it's, like, increased because I'm, like, ah, oh, fuck it, YOLO. Like, you know you only live and I have not died yet. So, you know, it's just like, let's keep life interesting. And so the guy comes, he's like, Oh, Oh fuck. The other boss is on the forklift out back. And I'm like, well, for fuck's sake. He's like, okay, when I say go, you fucking run, you fucking run so fast, go that way. And so he like goes the other way. He's like, Hey boss, man, what's up? And he's like, go. And so I just like fucking run and then I'm like back out on the street and I see like, you know, the dude with the mop and he's talking with the other boss on the other side and he kind of gives me this look and I'm limping along cause like, you know, I got a fucking uh, nail in my foot. Um, I did not get a tetanus shot because I'm an irresponsible adult and, uh, I kind of waited it out to see if I get lockjaw. I did not get lockjaw. So, you know, I, I should probably well, you get lockjaw probably... too late, but I don't think there's uh fungal spores in the same way on a high rise construction site. Right. Uh, and yeah. probably not on the nail factory. Although I would have gotten a tetanus shot and have definitely, uh, pulled a nail out of my foot and then gone to get a tetanus shot that day. <laughs> yeah. I, I needed to finish the film because I only had 20 minutes before the lab closed cutoff. So it's like, I still had, I think like 20 frames left. So, you know, I, did I did, you went back to the lab. Well, I hobbled back to the lab and I made it there for cutoff. So it's like, and the camera worked. It's one of my favorite cameras to shoot with, you know, shout out to Chris Cohen for that one. Um, but yeah, I do shit like that quite regularly. Um, the photos? Yeah, the photos were okay. I mean, I'm not a very good photographer. That's why I don't call myself a photographer. Like, you know, I, I like more just like archiving things. So, you know, they were like okay. Yeah, I for mean, me. we. I, oh, sorry, go ahead. 
I think um, we we both enjoy this sort of photography that's like uh, a little bit just like keeping a notebook of your life in yeah. negative or form uh, Instagram. So yeah. I used Instagram for like before um, before my business, and I think it was mostly just like phone photos. But to me, like a good photo. Um, form and color composition, the look of the thing, like formally can be beautiful, but like really what I want is like, what's the story, right? Like if, it, and you, if you can see the, the story in the photo and you don't need to like ask about that fish in the photo, you know, even better. But, um, you know, it's like a, it's a marker, like they gotta be. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're just making me think of it. Cause I was just picturing like a critique at like, uh, like a photo club night or something. And um, <laughs> this is how dumb my brain is. My brain was like, you know, it'd be hilarious if these like dudes that like critique each other's photos and take them very seriously. It's like, you know, we all need to take the same shot of the barn, but like all the shots are different, but they're all the same. They're all fucking, it's a, it's a fucking mm-hmm. barn. How could sure. a barn be different? But everyone's like, Oh, the nuance of this, or like the way you got the extra contrast out of that, the, the way the grain comes through. I was picturing like a group of those dudes rating Tinder profile photos. Yeah. Like just totally missing what the point of the, of the photo is right. And it's like, it's like if you were to read a poem and criticize it as a poorly written business email, like, yeah. <laughs> like it's a totally, you know, people do, you know, and, and it's probably because, you know, uh, like, like, uh, what is it? like the way language and, and the mind like sort of cuts concepts is not always so, so clear. And one people wind up talking about like, uh, photography or thinking about it all in one way when it's just not like sometimes like the, a good photo all it does is tell you where the pipes went under the concrete right like that the clearer you can do that the better that photo is in your you know, uh, yeah house documentation i like that um yeah i think i think we you probably you could probably some good art uh like 10 old photographers right in their profiles on Merlin on YouTube, <laughs> like the next to cut. That that would be hilarious. Or it's like if you could mix genres, because like there was those YouTube videos where they got old people high, supposedly for the first time. But let's be uh-huh. honest; these uh-huh. old people were probably high several times before that. Um, but well, so it's, it's a whole genre, right? Yeah. But it'd be like, hilarious uh, getting these. Oh, sorry. What's that? No, I just say it would be kind of funny to like, you know, get these old dudes high and then have them critique Tinder profiles well, well high. Yeah. So I think it's this genre of like, like interviewing people about something that they don't quite understand or like are, are just learning about for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one where I think it's like people from a village in Pakistan try like McDonald's foods and like Snickers bars and things. And there's something like, I've seen a few of them. It's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, those like those are cool. Yeah, I mean, kind of like, it's like when you, when you um, like show somebody something that they haven't seen before, like you get to hang out with a child, but it's like 
that on YouTube and it's like an adult, but they just have no context for like what a Snickers bar is. Uh, uh-huh. How do we get off on? <laughs> well, we we uh, went on we went deep and then we uh, we meandered somewhere else. Um, a couple notes that came up here. Hello, this is Kyle. Says the Nano Pano is sick. And uh, that oh, that's uh, Mech Sparkplug. And then um, Stanley Phillips Photography says, has the supply chain problems affected your production abilities at all? Uh, Mid-pandemic, for sure. It was really hard. Uh, It's with the Mongoose had like a couple hundred parts that were, you know, electronics components that were made in Chinese factories. And those took a long, long time to get to me and like drag that project on. But that was two and a half years ago now. Dang. years ago, whatever, I don't know. <laughs> it's been a blur in this garage. Um, but yeah, I mean, for a while, filament was really expensive, and then it sort of settled down. I think it's I mean, pretty, all right, yeah, doing okay. Like the Weezer song, do you ever feel safe in your garage? I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love this garage. Uh, not always when there's lightning out, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really enjoy it here. It's really kind of my, my safe space, my own little world. I find like I've been trying to, um, like strengthen the muscle that holds my head up like a little bit more because I just spend all day kind of like this in the computer and like my world is sometimes just in, in my head and in the computer. I mean, everybody knows, right? It's been COVID, but. The shop is like a little bit nicer than their bedroom or your kitchen table or where everybody else is working. But sometimes it's worse. I did, I did have to um, clear it out. You, you saw it in its good state. Um, I think some people saw it in a really kind of embarrassing state where I threw out like 2,800 pounds of garbage straight into the landfill. Holy shit business access and prototypes and staffs and things. I had to rent a 26-footer from U-Haul and drive it out into the desert. And then, like, everybody else had, like, dump trucks that sort of pull up, you know, like that. And I just had a box truck, so I had to push all of this stuff <laughs> out by hand. There was a tie I had, like, eight or nine uh, tower cases, and so I was, like, grabbing them and just tossing them like, uh, like discus. Chocolate. I had a uh, brown color power pack and a uh, 250 pound uh, vacuum refrigerated centrifuge. Holy like, shit. All sorts of, there was a lot of stuff in here, you know. I, I used to buy and sell things for a living, camera stores, and then eventually like industrial machinery parts. And so, like, you know, you buy a, <laughs> you buy a truckload of uh, industrial spray paint uh, gun kits and you sell a bunch of them and then you just like wind up with. 600 pounds of steel sitting behind <laughs> your garage that you can never sell. And so anyway, enough of those over the years. And, uh, it, gets, it gets pretty bad in here. But you know, while it's empty, I think, you know, I, I, had, I, had a, I feel good having guests over now. Although so was that the prequel to uh, Ethan had a hernia surgery? <laughs> yeah, a little bit, but also just like being... Uh, old and mm-hmm. out of shape and like not super strong and then also I think my dad and my uncle have it and like it's a hereditary 
thing. And, yeah, whatever. Um, probably, probably could not have helped no. uh, <laughs> doing that, but that wouldn't be like the only time. I, I feel like, like I really want to work with my brain, but sometimes I feel like I just work with like trying to be as strong as I can, just like moving things, you know. Yeah. And at those times, I'm I'm yeah. getting to an age where like I could feel like like wearing my body out, like a pencil down to the nub of like muscle and <laughs> hand strength, and uh, yeah. You just reminded me of. Um... Tyrannosaurus Rex. And when I worked in healthcare, we used to always joke that doctors were Tyrannosaurus Rexes when it came to paying any kinds of bills because they just, they couldn't quite reach their wallets. <laughs> so weird fun fact on that one. Um, comment from YouTube. Stanley Phillips says that you are the doc Brown of the film world and that you even have the garage just like him. That's very sweet. Uh, thank you. I make little plastic toys. I wish I, I made, uh, you know, uh, time traveling cars and, and such. We might, we might get into both. Right? Thank you. That is very generous. Oh, that'd be fun. Now, now you need to build a speaker wall and a camera with a flux capacitor. <laughs> I feel I feel so powerless. Like I just need to need to finish finish. That's fair. Um, okay. This is uh this is where I get uncomfortable because it's live, and I was trying. Oh, that's okay. I've, I've got uh, another thing. So, hello, this is Kyle. Has a question where, what is the max size you can go with a roll of RA4 paper? Um, I mean, like, I, I'm not 100% sure what he means by that, but it could mean one of, like, two things. So let's just go for him. Uh, the size of the paper that is available, right, uh, which is probably... Somewhere between 48 and 52 inches, I believe. In width? But what? In width. In width. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. These are, like, because they sell them in, like, 100 foot uh, at full master roll width, I believe, and then cut down. And, you know, so the most common roll papers would be, like, um, excuse me, uh, four inch wide for four by sixes in a mini lab. Uh, but, you know, they make, Everywhere, every slice of the masters um, and reschool, and so yeah. If that's the question, you know, you can get I think maybe forty-eight to fifty-two inches by a hundred or four hundred feet. Then the question is, uh, what is the biggest like sheet of paper you could expose and/or develop? Either, you know, I assume if it's me, like like as a, as a direct positive, I guess. The question then is how big is camera or how big is your lens or mm-hmm. right? like I think some some guy and like like a whole college class maybe did an airplane hanger at some point and stuff that was like I don't know five feet long by or five feet tall by like 96 feet wide you know airplane hanger size. so 
Brendan Barry did a skyscraper in New York, I think. Those were Jesus. pretty big. Yeah, sky's the limit. Wallet's the limit, too, on, on that one. I'm, I'm going to wager to Right, yeah, I mean, like, I'm, I'm not going to finance that, right? That's, uh, but, you know, I, I think it might be a reasonable um, marketing thing for someone someday that I might get to do it for. We'll see. <laughs> So the 20 by 24, did you get that in sheets or did you have to cut it from a master roll? No, it's a sheet, but you could get it from a roll. It's just like a lot more convenient. Um, I was doing a lot of color and so they really build jigs to cut it down. And like, it just, it was a little bit more expensive to get it in sheets and just way, 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 way. Yeah. That'd be a lot more convenient. I'd imagine. Um, and then someone has a question. What happened when you tried to build a densimeter? A what? A densimeter. Densimeter. Densitometer? Yeah, sorry, densitometer. Uh, I built some densitometer things, but they weren't used in the same way that a classic densitometer would be. Never densitometer. Um, I did build some functions into the mongoose, uh, but I never released any of those modules for like shutter speed test. But the shutter speed test uh, module is available on GitHub for free. GitHub.com slash Okay. And then no another question here is John McTown says, why do you choose to live in Albuquerque and I don't know if this is a, a fair question, but what is your financial arrangement with Brooklyn Film Camera? Um, Brooklyn Film Camera. Oh, I bought Brooklyn Film Camera. So I became the world's first 3D printed billionaire um, through the power of positive thinking and being a cool dude on the internet. And, <laughs> you know, one day I was just so overwhelmed with uh, printing cameras and I didn't want to. And some of this is true and some isn't. Um, that I was just like, hey, why don't you build a file? You download the files, you do the work. And so I made my stuff more expensive and started selling files for $7 on camerdactyl.com. <laughs> and, uh, and then it was so successful, I became a billionaire and I bought Brooklyn Film Camera and now I own it. But in actuality, I have no financial relationship with Brooklyn Film Camera. But I do wholesale some things to them like... Um, Polaroid scan trays, which uh, I think you have a couple of them. I have some sitting around and um, in stack focusing screen back. Um, the, I got one right here. Uh, <clears throat> the Lomograph lock back um, uses a shim to push your focusing screen back and into the right place for in stack slides. So I made this thing, which is a shim and a focusing screen together and uh, it just replaces your focusing screen and uh, shim on your 4x5 camera so I sell those to Brooklyn Film Camera too um, yeah that's cool and, and we're friends I like those guys that's fair and yeah you, you did uh, you did give me um, a few of those and so I will be having shortly a giveaway for one of those uh, camera dactyl uh, Brooklyn film camera Polaroid scanner things. Um, 
Get it here, folks. Sign up. Like and subscribe. Yeah, smash that like button. Hit that bell. Um, I haven't figured that out yet because I'd like to make a video using um using the thing first. Um, and then yeah, because apparently reels are like how all the kids like to do shit now, not just posts. So yeah, I got to make a reel of it. And I honestly have not been doing a lot of much of anything since I got back other than just like trying to work. And, um, you know, I was going to like clean my studio up, but, um, I got to just set up enough about an hour before jumping on the live. And I'm like, that was a good enough accomplishment for now. Um, yeah, yeah it just, the, the drive took a lot more out of me than I thought. I'm like, cool. Getting old is the best. It's kind of exhausting. I, I sometimes do like straight drives. I've driven um, like Madison, Wisconsin to Boulder, Colorado, and I've driven actually Albuquerque to like, you know, Southern Illinois in, in one shot before. And like, you can maintain that for a couple of days, but when you kind of get where you're going, you just gotta sleep for a few days. <laughs> well, that, that so that kind of happened in Marfa. Um, we, Armand and I stopped in Marfa to visit with our friend Sarah Button, who runs the, uh, the Marfa film shop there. And, uh, mm-hmm. we had plans of just like having dinner with her and then getting on the road and just like making a beeline for Denton. And then we sat down for a little bit. And, uh, after we like sat down after dinner, I was like, yeah, we're like putting no more hours in today. Like, you know, we got to find a hotel for the night. Cause like, I don't want to drive anymore. Like my body was just like, you relaxed. Like, you know, we, we had all of the, the chemical like juice going where you, you could have probably made it if you left when you were thinking of leaving, but then you relaxed a bit. You're not going anywhere now, bro. I used to do a lot of driving like that back when I bought and sold cameras. Um, I was in Madison, Wisconsin and I started my business like driving, circles around Madison and then, you know, Northern, uh, Wisconsin, I just like drive up to Appleton and do a couple of those towns and then come back. And then I had kind of fished out everything that I could get to in a day. And I had to start going to like St. Louis for a week and driving around that area. And eventually it became like, I'd spend three months in the winter time driving through all of the Southwest buying cameras. And Holy shit. And, um, a lot of that, particularly getting out and back, uh, you know, getting out to California, getting out to Seattle, down to Florida, right? Um, those were just these brutal, brutal drives of, like, when I would go out, I would just drive as far as I could and then, like, orbit a hotel from my phone. Like, what is what is 20 minutes from now, like, before this coffee wears off or um, just, like, coming home with, like, the, the shakes from eating too many Snickers bars and uh, coffees from gas stations at three in the morning. And you're like, I got a, another two hours in me. And then you like get home and your whole body is like buzzing in bed. Uh, <laughs> like it was just like, it takes a couple of days before you can get out of your pajamas and cut all the box tape open and unpack the cameras. And yeah. you've been thinking about, you know, moving them. And then you're laying there in yeah, bed and you're like, I'm, I'm tired, but I can't sleep. Cause I'm just like, Ugh. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's oh, the best yeah. feeling. Um, photo dude NZ says if you invented a time machine, would you kill baby Hitler? 
Oh, that's a real good question, right? A lot of why I am here and me would be, I would, I would banish like Michael J. Fox, but like maybe it seems like the right thing to do. <laughs> that's just, that's a tough one. Cause like, I don't know if I could do it. Yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd give it. I'd give it uh, heavy consideration. <laughs> I guess I can't, I can't even invent though. Like this is not going to happen. I can't invent a thing that was invented in 1917. just like in a different material. Like that is hard enough for me. Like like. What about yeah. instead of killing baby Hitler, you gave his dad a vasectomy? You give him love. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's ultimately all the trolls want, right? It's like they wouldn't even they like like uh, it's just like people just want to be loved. They want like a little attention. That's that's fine. That's nice. People are nice. It comes. It all comes from like a place of love and just like a misunderstanding about like how to be nice to other people on the internet. <laughs> that was Hitler's problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so someone uh, was telling me uh, they their favorite way to diffuse situations with, with someone when they're trying to escalate is after they're done getting all angry about shit, just asking them if they're okay. Yeah. I could see that being kind of funny. Yeah. Cause then they're just like, they have to think about it for a minute and it kind of takes them out of like being angry and they're like, but like, 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 let me just try this. I don't really mean this, but let me try this. Uh, well, are you okay? Like that? Not or like, really. Or like Not more really. genuine. <laughs> <laughs> no, where it's like, like you, know, you, you say it where it's like, you know, man, the way you park was so fucking shit. You just go fuck yourself, man. Like you'll learn how to fucking park, bro. And then you're just like, hey, man, are you okay? Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to use that. I like it. Yeah. Um, that, that, that could be a good one. So I talked about irresponsible shit I've done. What's been the craziest thing you've done that you, you're willing to share on the internet with a bunch of strangers? For you, Marlon. Um, yeah, building a blimp was nutty. Um, I think I've probably talked a little bit about trying to like for a while I like I ran a internet clothing like women's clothing store and I flew to Thailand and Vietnam and had a lot of clothing made and shipped over here and like ran it anonymously on the internet it was like a really like widget thing for me like I, I had no passion about it it was just like what can I buy and sell and like I don't know it was, um, it was one of the worst business decisions I ever made. But I, I don't think it was, you know, like that crazy or like, you know, I was never like in danger doing that. I just was uh, in danger for, you know, wasting a lot of time and losing a lot of money. <laughs> um, craziest thing I've done. Uh, I once went log rafting like on a, on a whim, uh, like, I was in college over the summer and my friend Will um, 
he called me and he was like, Hey, I'm in Alaska. Do you want to come out? And like, uh, I think he said like build a log rack and huck in it down the Yukon. And you know, I'm 17, 18 years old at the time, something like that. Like, yeah, but, but like, uh, I didn't, I it wasn't like, yeah, I will stop what I'm doing now. It's like working at a kayak shop and taking summer classes in college. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I'm not going to stop doing that. And, um, actually, yeah, that's cool, but not, I will do it. And, um, yeah, he calls me like a week later and tells me that he has quit his job. And so now I have to buy a ticket and I felt really bad. So I did buy a ticket. <laughs> And like a couple of weeks later, I find myself like 150 miles from the nearest structure on the planet, you know, and, uh, like on some river with a bunch of like sticks tied together with all of our stuff on it, like kind of floating around when like my buddy Will is like, Oh yeah, I totally lied to quit my job until you bought the ticket. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty fun. That was probably like not the smartest of, I went on like in Grizzly Country, but we did not. Um, you know, we were trying to be safe, but we didn't have shotguns. Was, I don't know that I would like do that again as such a juicy adult in Grizzly Country without a gun. Right, that doesn't seem like a fun camping trip. Um, no, that doesn't. Yeah, so I did some log rafting. That was weird. Um, mostly, yeah, mostly the blimp was was the, the silliest thing I've ever done. With failure. <laughs> I, I wouldn't uh, say that that's necessarily a silly thing. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's a good skill to know that like you tried to build a blimp and it didn't really work out. So if you ever need a blimp, you know, you just need to buy one. It's true. And I was actually talking about Joe Van Cleve about this a while ago. I think there are starting to be some like, um, commercial retail blimps. Uh, although, you know, pretty impractical. I think more practical is within our lifetimes, like uh, if we are so lucky, I think we could see everybody kind of having a uh, personal quadcopter, like quadcopter, like, like a drone. Like, you know. Unless it's a Zeppelin, I don't want to fuck with it. Zeppelins are cool, but they're so huge, right? You want to you want to cross the Atlantic and stuff, yeah, like. No, I, I want to like take it to like Whole Foods to like pick up a box of granola. <laughs> I mean, to dock a Zeppelin, you need an enormous mass, Merlin. This is just impractical. <laughs> right, like it can't make stops. Uh, you know, it's uh, it is a big sale. The thing is, like, limp. Actually, everything as they get bigger and bigger, they just get like more and more unruly. Like real, like. It works for cameras too, although the real frontier is smallnessity in cameras mm-hmm. that I would like to work on. But I think as anything gets like really big, it's just everything becomes physically different. That's true, yeah. Still want one. <laughs> <laughs> you, okay. You're not okay. you're not yeah, just I'm, waiting okay. this dream. I would um, like I would like much like I, it's better to have a friend with a boat than having a boat. I feel the same way about dogs. I really like dogs, but I would much rather have like a close friend who has a dog that I could play with. But, like, See, I feel that way about it. children. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, yeah. 
I, I, I really like that my brothers have kids because I can hang out with them. I can wind them up and then <clears throat> I can go home and not have to deal Super with that. Um, uh-huh. Which it's hilarious watching kids get like wound up. Like after the chat with Jason, uh, we were having dinner and um, he gave the little some ice cream. And then <laughs> it's like, you know, seven thirty at night and these two little kids ate like half a pint of ice cream and <laughs> it's like Lucha Libre night. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember, uh, so it was like my job, actually I lived in an apartment building in the Bronx growing up and, uh, you know, whoever it was that was like between 14 and 17 or whatever, or like 18 living at home, like had all the babysitting jobs. And like, there were some fun kids that I really liked and some that were, like, easy, and some that, like, you enjoy, uh, but, like, I just remember once, it was nice because it was, like, in the building, so I could call my mom when I got in over my head. I'm, like, 16, and I'm, like, winding these kids up, like, running around the house throwing pillows, and, like, all of a sudden, like, they are just, like, throwing chairs, like, shit out the windows, like, I can't, <laughs> I can't control, you know, I'm, just, I'm playing with these uh, 11-year-olds or whatever, you know, um, and I, I call my mom and I can't get them. <laughs> but I, I, it was like, um, like Fantasia, right? Like, like the broomstick was just <laughs> like the chaos I could see going everywhere. I was like, I, I love these kids. They were, you know, we grew up together. They're adults now. They're in their thirties, right? Or late twenties. But, uh, oh yeah, that got out of hand real quick. I did not know what to do. That sounds pretty hilarious. Um, where is it here? JR photography, uh, says when I was a nightclub bouncer, I used to boot people on the nose. And when they asked what it was for, I'd respond that it's their attitude readjustment button. (laughs) That seems like a reasonable thing to do. I don't think I would do that because I think I would just get punched a lot. That's fair. You know, John John's a big dude, so I don't think anyone's gonna like you know go punching him for uh, him readjusting their attitudes. But that's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah I could that's see like a nightclub nightclub bouncer dude booping people. Seems, yeah. seems reasonable. I mean, it's it's funny booping not. people because they get all confused about it. They're like, "What you boot me for?" Mm. Yeah, I used to interact with people in the real world. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's always time. You can still, you can still, there's people. We haven't all have disappeared yet. Um, you know. Yeah, I've been thinking, thinking a lot about getting out of my garage for maybe a month in some future time. Like a real person vacation or like even in a place where less humble weeds. I, I got a couple of friends here. Very, very out out in the middle of nowhere. Do you should come to the next Policon. Um, and yeah, I would like to do that. Yeah. But if, if you come to the next Policon, like you could do a workshop on like the reversal process, like not necessarily with the 20 by 24, but like if you bring the eight by 10, um, you know, that would be really, yeah, whatever cool. I could fit in a cabriolet would be way more chill. Yeah. And if I'm, if I'm crazy enough to drive down again, I, I might bring my eight by 10. Um, and then you can just use oh, that. Yeah. And, you know. Very chill. 
yeah, it. Uh, I don't. I, I'm really gonna have to think about if I'm gonna drive down again. It, it depends on what air traffic is like um, next year. Because if it's still fucked up, I'll probably drive again. Hey, can can I mute myself and blow my nose for one second? Here, I'll mute you for you. Just hold on, hold on. Oh, are you back now? All right. Sorry about that. Oh, it's all good, man. Just a little dusty in here. Oh, that's totally fair. So, what was it? I had a question and then it vanished on me. Um, Is there any new camera plans that you might have um, in the camera dactyl world? Yeah. Uh, You know, I have showed you there over. And that's computer. Uh, yeah, you know, I've been working on this thing for, I don't know, six months now, on and off, although I spent two months just doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I need to just make a physical prototype and let some things be bad. But yeah, I've been working on some 35 millimeter stuff people will like. Um, yeah, I've already talked about it a little bit and already spawned somebody else making another one which i am you know in theory behind and actually i am behind other people making other ones but like it's just like let me just finish the first one guys before (laughs) but not that i have any any claim but like reasonable claim i have i can't tell people what to do with their bodies or their minds and i had no claim over it but sometimes i just don't want to say it because i know that other people will you know, like, well, I'll release it and then they can do what they want with it and they can make new ones. And that's great. But, um, yeah, I'm making some, making some cameras. That's fair. Uh, I've been making a lot of things that are like those little things, like, here, I'll grab things. Um, all of these for photography. But oh, all yeah. All these, like, little finders. Oh, yeah. I released uh, for six by nine and thirty-five millimeter so far, and there'll be a couple other formats. But like, those are not um, like I wouldn't I wouldn't have quit my day job to just like I mean they're useful, they're good, but I mean don't you don't have a shop to do this, right? Like I gotta. What if it was a really awful day job? A little bit more fun. That's true. That's true. I've had some pretty bad jobs, and I'm sure many others have had. What um, What are the like top two or top three worst jobs you've had? Oh boy, um, I don't know that I've had like even that bad of any job, but I've had some really like weird ones that I can tell you about. Okay, um, what, what were the two weirdest ones? A little bit. I, okay. Okay. Um. excluding like all of the things that I made my job, right? Because all of those are weird, but not like a job you can go get. You just have to do those by being unemployable. Um, I back to back. Yeah, I back to back drove a netpack vehicle, which was like a mapping vehicle that they would use to make space maps and um, 
MapQuest.com and I think Teleatlas and some TomCom GPSs ran on it back in the day, maybe even still. But I had this car, it was a hybrid Ford Escape with like the guidance system of a Patriot missile and a server rack in the back. It was, you know, this was, I don't know what the car was worth new, but like about $120,000 worth of like, like weird, uh, weird devices on it. I think it had a, a giant IMU, like, like a, a gyroscope inertial measurement unit that now we have in our phones. And actually at that time they had poor ones and phones. Uh, but this thing was like, just, you know, a giant box and it was very accurate. And I had six cameras on my roof and a distance measurer on my wheel and, uh, you know, a bunch of other bits and bobs. And I just have to get up in the morning and drive this thing donuts, like, and figure eight, like, squeezing, squeezing, squeezing the tires uh, around the corners of, like, a big parking lot to, like, shake up and calibrate the gyroscope. And then I would just go drive um, whatever the project was. I think the, the big one I did was every on and off ramp of a class one and two highway in New York state, plus one mile left and right of that on and off ramp. And then every path of every interchange. So like, uh, there's, there's this one spot in the Bronx, uh, that I'm familiar with. I grew up not very far away. Uh, it's the cross Bronx expressway, the Bruckner, the Triborough bridge extension. And, uh, not not the bandwidth. The uh, I don't know. There's like there was 41 individual paths, and I spent uh, three or four days driving that one uh, intersection. There's more hours of congestion there than hours of daylight, and so like that was my job. I just uh, kind of like right out of college, I just sat in a car all day, all night, like with um one of those like a police. I wasn't police, but like the. the screen on a big swivel in the passenger seat and a keyboard and like kind of went around making maps. Hmm. Um, that was a weird job. Uh, it was like project based. And when I was like between projects, I didn't have anything to do. And I was like sitting on my mom's couch and a few of my friends were going down to new Orleans to work on this, uh, movie that became beast of the Southern wild. And, um, I went down there like just to kill time waiting for my next thing to do and immediately got a job as a ditch digger um, where I would just like get picked up six, seven o'clock in the morning, every morning in a pickup truck. And I would like to go dig ditches for irrigation or whatever all day. Um, that was a very weird job because of the people that I worked with who were largely um, like veteran ditch diggers in their fifties down in New Orleans, right? like, like career ditch diggers. And so like, there was a lot of, uh, just like, didn't, didn't look, didn't look good, uh, where, where things were going for me at those, at those times. But, you know, I was like young, I was, um, 23 or 24 at the time. Um, I was like, I felt like it was, I was like a dumb version of uh, Goodwill Hunting. So it was like, I was like, meet people at a party, just being young and in New Orleans. And then, like, I would see them. I had this, we had this gig where I spent weeks digging ditches across the Tulane campus uh, for some irrigation they put in in a plaza. And like, I would see people, and I'm just like wearing a life beater and like, 
shoveling, whatever, and people would do like this. Yeah, that was that was a weird job I had too. Back to back. Those are pretty weird jobs. It's it's a it's a long way away from building cameras and, and things. Yeah, yeah, and it's like not even like it doesn't it doesn't even make sense. Like uh, I don't know. Like maybe you identify with this, or maybe you don't. Um, like when I grew up, somehow. Uh, I have had been like brainwashed into believing that like, if you're a good boy and you do good at school, like you, like you can then go to a better school and do gooder at better schools and better at gooder schools until eventually like one day you can be a doctor. So you won't starve when the war comes because somebody will always pay a doctor in chicken. And, uh, this is like many generations read into me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I, I don't know, like if, if, um, if you ever felt like there was uh, a, a clear path for you to be successful in life. And usually most people will, you know, like some, I don't know, like a lot of children's parents will lay this out for them. And it, it takes their first like major, failure to realize that like it's all it's all an illusion that that ring any bells for you well so for me like the deal with my parents was i I was the oldest so the first to graduate the first to have all the mistakes made with um but as long as i passed high school they would support me in whatever i wanted to do um, what they left out was they would support me in whatever I wanted to do as long as it was what they wanted me to do. Um, because since I was a little kid, they had groomed me to work with computers. So like they bought me my first computer when I was two, it was a VIC 20 and computers were just a very prevalent part of my life. Um, you know, sometimes to my detriment, you know, having a name like Merlin and then also being a computer nerd, um, it didn't lend well to popularity. Uh, who would have thought? Um, but at the tail end of high school, I got in, into music a lot and was playing in this, uh, it was like a punk funk ska band with bagpipes, which is super weird. Um, we were called Dempton, but there's a bread company here in fucking Canada called Dempster. And everyone thought that we were fucking Dempster because like, what the fuck is a Dempton? It was a, it was a weird thing. But that got me really into music, and so I wanted to go to sound engineering school and uh, learn how to be a recording engineer and, and all that shit. And I had, like, a big plan around it, and my parents did not support that. They were like, you know, pick a real profession or just get a job. So I went into this, like, solid fuck you mom and dad mode for a few years and just became, like, this alcoholic idiot that installed car stereos for, for a while. And then I turned 25 and realized, hey, this whole fuck you mom and dad thing is only really fucking me over. Um, so this plan is dumb. And uh, I... Mom and dad trying to help. Um, not really. They enabled a lot of... Yeah, they were enablers, but you know, not in the best way. They did their best, which 
is uh, I'll give them credit for that. Given the tools they had, they did their best. Um, yeah, so I reluctantly got back into computers when I was 25. And um, it's been an interesting thing because I never went to school and all that because, like, when I went back into the workforce for, like, a real career job, I was, like, panicked and I was kind of, like, uh, felt like I'd wasted so much time. And so I was just, like, really trying to play a lot of catch-up. And, you know, to my luck, it was the tail end of that era where um, credentials didn't matter as much as just showing up and someone would take a chance on you and try and, like, you know, train you up and educate you instead of being like, oh, like, you know, where's your, where'd you get your um, bachelor of computer sciences, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I'm not an educated person, which surprises a lot of my counterparts because they are all very educated people. And I'm like, I barely passed high school friend, which is true. I had like a 47% grade average and it's not cause I was dumb. It was because I preferred drinking over school. Um, <laughs> it was just, the, the school did not want me back so they they pushed me through but they're like you know the principal was like i want you to know that you're a failure and you know he's like i still get to graduate with my friends though right and he's like yeah and i'm like well what's the problem then um now as an adult looking back <laughs> on it, yeah. <laughs> well and then like as an adult looking back on it I'm, i kind of wish i could go back in time and, and be like you know did i fail or did y'all fail is like, you know, I'm obviously not a dumb person, but, um, you know, the mechanisms here that you had to, uh, to use with us didn't work very well. Um, yeah, yeah but then it's been an interesting thing because, like, my career has been very um, unconventional, I'd say. Like, uh, a friend and I a few years back talked about, like, you know, ethical gray areas. And so... I've managed to get through my career to where I am now by exercising ethical gray areas here and there, which some people may not have the moral flexibility to do, but you know, I luckily possess that, which I guess is why I do pre-sales work. Cause you know, I believe that also requires a, a bit of moral flexibility that not everyone possesses. Uh -huh. Um, but I just kind of looked and I was like, you know, doing the straight and narrow, A, I don't have time for it. And B, I see a lot more failure with that path than I see success. Um, so, you know, it kind of turned into a sort of like lie, cheat, steal kind of thing to like get, get the jobs that I had. And then not like, you know, actually stealing from places, but just like, you know, if they're looking for a specific, um, a specific resource, like a specific person to do a task. And like, I know that I can do some of that stuff, but it's like, I don't know it right this moment. I'll be like, I mean, yeah. that's, what's that? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the whole, like, um, on, on some like really annoying, uh, like, uh, saying level is take it till you make it. It's the other thing of just like, uh, the difference between I can learn and I know, uh, nobody wants to take a chance and can learn. But the other thing is, you know, like at, at a certain point, like you just know who's like going to be smart at the thing you want them to be smart at. Like, yeah. like 
you're an adult, right? And it's like I don't almost never is somebody looking for a job that they did before, right? Like when people are looking for sort of like uh, high value. How value people now, Andrew Tate? How value bros uh, are looking for a new job, right? Like uh, they're looking for a challenge, and like you just you just want. I don't know. I'm also not uh, like a guy that employs many people these days, but um, you just want like somebody that you know can learn the thing and that will be interested and that won't be like bored and a pain in your ass. I had this employee. I worked at American Apparel for a while, and like this guy, I love. Uh, he's like so impressive and smart and like sometimes it's a big pain in my ass. Like, you know, I had so many people, like I, I just had like manual labor warehouse stuff around, but like most people I'd ask them to do something and I'd hope I'd have to come back and like see how far they went before they wandered off and like put them back on the path of moving that box over there. Uh, but this one guy, I would I would ask him to do something. I'd have to give him a list of things if I like go to lunch because I would come back and like one time I went to lunch and I came back. He had finished all of the things on my list and then went to Lowe's, bought a bag of concrete, found a um, wheelbarrow and was mixing cement and patching holes in the basement floor. Like awesome, right? But a guy with that sort of like energy and like uh, self uh, directedness, right? Like. He's a wonderful resource. And he was like a good friend. And like, but sometimes can be a huge pain in the butt because you don't know what he's going to get into. And yeah. sometimes like he didn't necessarily have like the best judgment or like know what my goal was as his boss. Uh, like what he should be doing, you know? And like I would never fire him for like patching the holes in the floor with concrete. But like that's not what I wanted him to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, I think at a certain point, and maybe, I don't know, I haven't worked in corporate America in over 10 years now, uh, but I think once you're like a certain age, I think it's just age, people are like, okay, can you learn to do this thing? Or mm-hmm. no. But you know, maybe, maybe corporate America, maybe HR less. I always think HR is like, uh, you know, uh, I, I have had it always mixed mixed opinions and feelings. I have some friends in HR departments, but um, oh, it always got in my way. Like I felt like they were the last people that knew anything about the thing that I wanted to do, and like impressing them enough that I could talk to the guy that knew about the thing that I wanted to do and was actually doing the hiring. Was like this is like a, a hoop that I had to jump through. That I was always bad at jumping through. Like I don't, I'm. I say this like a bunch um, and I'm glad I became the world's first 3D printed billionaire because I am like unemployable. Like, <laughs> like I, I uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Get into all. I, I think age is definitely part of it. Um, but like reputation also is like, there's people out there that are, are at an age and have a lot of experience where they should be like really employable, but then they've also like have had like a disaster train behind them. Um, uh-huh. I've worked with a few of those people and it's really interesting to watch that. Um, and it's also just really interesting too. Cause like 
being a creative, but then also having like a really corporate job um, has been a bit of a mind bender at times because it's like, you know how the sausage is made. And so it's like, you know, you see the struggle, but then you understand why the struggle exists in, in some ways and veins. And like, you know, you understand that like some struggles are just never going to go away because there's no profitability in, in that going away, which is like a really fucked up thing because then you start seeing the world as what's profitable and what isn't. And then you're like, Oh, the, all of this shit makes sense now because like these really awful things are happening because someone's making money. Better things won't happen because they won't make that money. And it's a little like disheartening when you start being able to see the world and the, that lens, which is like what we're forced to live in. But no one will admit that that's how it actually is because, you know, we don't want to like upset everyone, but it's kind of fucked up. I would, I would admit that things are like, you know, like if, um, if I did not, I mean, like, I think I would make things free if I did not need to make a profit. And also, I probably wouldn't even bother. Like, these are useful, but I wouldn't have bothered with my time, right? Like, I wouldn't have needed another $7 from you. And you. Uh, like, it's, uh, there are still so many things that I would love to do that are just, I, I can't, right? And, like, we, we, we were talking about this the other day in my shop, like, uh, about bringing back certain films and, you know, it will never be done. And it, I'm firmly of the opinion uh, living in like the scientist ghetto of uh, like the, the national lab. Like there are plenty of smart people. They just cost $250,000 a year and you need a thousand of them, you know, an acre worth of uh, machinery and space and heating and cooling and, uh, you know, liability insurance. Like you just like to, to bring back tax illness totally within our, technological capabilities, whether or not recipes have been lost, whether or not precursors are made like sending people by sending people to the moon these days. Yeah. Landing their rockets. Uh, no, that was like that, that never happened. That was all Kubrick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> until Elon Musk. Um, yeah, I mean like it's it, for better or worse um, all my problems are business problems. Right? Mm. Like, um, it's interesting. I got a degree in economics. I don't really like know about the economy, but uh, I mean, I think all you yeah. need to know right now is that it's bad. <laughs> it's economy bad. bad. No, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, but like ultimately, I get to build weird cameras all day, every day. And like, so uh, I can't, I can't be too mad at it. Mm -hmm. I, I'm excited about like some better ways to do it. I'm excited for you and you and you and you Merlin uh, to buy a 3d printer. And so that, you know, one more people can get into making weird, cool stuff, but like also my designs and also I don't have to make as much stuff. And I'm maybe interested in having like some companies do some production rather than, printing and assembling everything here. Like, like I'm, I'm exploring new ways to do it and to exist in an economy that's experienced 15% inflation over the last two years. Like I, you 
know, like everything's a business problem, but man, I, like, I, I feel, I feel like a 3d printed billionaire. Like I, I just, <laughs> I'm so lucky to get to do this. Well, it's you look, wild. you look like a billion bucks. So, you know, there you go. Oh, thanks. Um, it's interesting thanks. you say the lab thing. Cause when I woke, I unfortunately slept in. So I was like late for my drive, but overall probably good. I slept in, but when I was checking out of the motel in Albuquerque, um, I noticed the, these guys sort of sitting around the coffee place. One of them had a red hat shirt on and I was like, Hey, I like your shirt, man. And, uh, he saw my Kodak shirt and he's like, Oh, I like red hat. They make like Linux and, and, uh, software. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I didn't, I took me a second to figure out that it was Linux and not like a Trump hat shirt, but okay. No, no, I, I, you know, check me out on my website for my MAGA line that's coming out soon though. Cause like, you know, whatever. I can't even like make that a joke. Um, <laughs> was it, uh, I want to make like map, map hats, make pack film, map make pack film great again. You can't, you just don't, just don't do it. Here's the deal. Um, Classic Lenses podcast is a podcast I really, really love and, and hopefully come back someday. But um, they had some merchandise called it was Make Bokake Great Again, which was like a joke in a joke in a joke. It was like specific to their podcast. But like I was a regular <laughs> listener when they were a regular. So, you know, this was like the nerdiest thing. I still think Terry G made like the best single uh, episode of any analog photography episode ever, which is just like, go look it up. Terry G, uh, uh, like live reports, dispatches in Hong Kong and the classic legends podcast, which has very little to do with the regular podcast. But anyway, they make this red hat. It says make Bokaki great again. I try and support my local podcast, and, uh, buy a nice hat from them. I think it's kind of funny for a second. Okay. And then I buy it and then I wear it and I walk outside and like, I can see my neighbor over the fence and I know he's super, far to read it uh but like you know i'm a large white man wearing a hat in albuquerque that like looks very aggressive and I, i'm just like uh you know i know he, my neighbor knows who i am but i don't know that he knows. anyway you know and then i walk in front and like i didn't make it an inch out of my door before that hat had to well i, I wouldn't make it i wouldn't make it red because i'd want to be able to wear it like i don't know like a green a green hat just to like, you know, as a throwback to like the green packaging, Yeah, you know, wait. So it was like, was it like Boca, but like they did it like Bokaki or was it Bukaki? Yeah. No, Bokaki. It's it's sort of like the gratuitous use of Bokeh. It's it's like the output of Bokeh bros, I believe is Bokaki. It's many levels. It's not, I feel like that really works because like Boca Boca is really creamy and it's like sort of all over the place. So like, you know, (laughs) you open this door. Um, But yeah, sorry with, with the lab thing, it was really interesting because I was uh, chatting with these red hat guys and a friend of mine used to work for red hat and he's got some code that got launched into space, which uh, gives me hope for degenerates because like, you know, he's, 
one of the craziest degenerates I know, and he's uh, he spoke to the Joint Chiefs while wearing a shirt that said, fuck you, you fucking fucks. And uh, they were like, I thought you were sending your top man. And the handler that was sent with him who was dressed much nicer was like, this is one of our top men. And the Joint Chiefs were like, hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm like, when I grow up, I want to be like that guy. Um, but yeah, they're like, oh yeah, we're, we're all here from Red Hat. We're meeting with Sandia Labs. And like, what do you do? And I'm like, I sell cloud solutions. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to get in my truck and just go fuck myself now. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about the work of Sandia Labs. I feel like they do some really interesting and good work. I know a lot of people who work there that are like very smart, sweet people. Um, it's also like very clear that you know, express purpose is a little, uh, say, a moral gray area. Yeah, it's all for, like, you know, freedom in defense of liberty and... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's... uh, Yeah, it's where they make the news, like, five miles that way. Which, I mean, the irony of it all is that the biggest terrorist organization the world has ever seen is the U.S. government. Kodak. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Ten things they don't want you to know about Kodak film. Kodak is the Illuminati. <laughs> yeah. And the skulls. Kodak and the masons. Um, uh-huh. Actually, so that's an interesting thing, though, with the defense contracting thing, because one thing a lot of people may not be fully aware of is that Polaroid was a huge defense contractor during World War II. And um, the bulk of their war chest that they used to make film products came from the war proceeds. Like, that's why they were so flush and able to just, like, do crazy science-y shit was because they didn't need to keep I mean, like, uh, Ultimately, like, computers come directly out of World War II, right? Yeah. But, like, also the Apollo program, also, like, the Apollo program like a missile program with like a friendly rapper and a couple of people inside the missile. Uh, yeah, they're yeah. just like, I mean, like instead all, all of these things like we depend on, like the, the phone I'm talking to you on, right? Like it's a miracle. It, um, well, a it's, it's alien technology. Like, like, I mean, the, the U S government did declassify that and Kodak is run by the lizard people. I mean, it's entirely possible. Like, you know, the lizard, the lizards are a real mm-hmm. thing. Um, I mean, lizards are real. But like the the Polaroid thing was was an interesting thing for me because like um, every time I use my SLR six eighty, it reminds me of um, Polaroid's military history because the sonar autofocus system that they put in that camera is was derived from the missile guidance systems that they created for the U.S. military. And so it's like every time it autofocuses, I think about it blowing something up. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Which, is, which is kind of a wild thing. And that's also where the SX-70 got its name. Because um, Polaroid, when they would do special projects for the government, like experiments for them, they called them special experiment with a number designator. And the very last one they did for the U.S. military, which ironically was SX-69. <laughs> 
Nice. But um, sure. when and Dr. Land wanted to do the, um, the new Cameron film project, he didn't want competitors to know that's what he was up to. And so they designated it Project SX-70. Yeah, because like all the competitors knew, oh, don't fuck with the military shit because you don't want the U.S. government getting all up in your ass because you're trying to do espionage on their shit. And uh, to his credit, it fucking worked. And it also gave it a cool name. Like, you know, but there was a, there was a slim chance that the camera could have been SX-69, which <laughs> would have been fucking hilarious. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh. The more you know. I need to get that programmed in uh in my sound buttons. That'd be a good one. I mean seems like there's a huge amount of uh like military photography. military everything history from like the clothes we wear to uh aspirin. Um Yeah. They're, they're, the military has had their fingers in a lot of pies, um, you know, in a lot of different ways. Um, yeah, so it's just, it, it's interesting. So I, I can see the conflict you'd have with Sandia because, like, you know, they've definitely done some uh, some sketchy stuff. And, like, it was yeah, but, like, it's also irrelevant, ultimately, that Ethan would not go work for Sandia because, like, I'm just way too rich to go work. Now. <laughs> You're like, I look, unless there's three commas no, in my paycheck, it. you can just go fuck yourself. Like that's, that's what we're talking about here. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be mean about it. Yeah. Well, no, that's, that's not being mean. That's just being very like, that's be, being very bold about Correct. it. It's like, you know, I don't get up for less than three commas in the morning. So like, you know, that, that's what we're talking about here. I'm working on one. one. <laughs> That's fair enough. I yeah, think, like bad. you know, with, with how everything is working right now, we're all working on on uh, less commas than we'd like to be. Yeah. Except for the rich, they've got they've got all the commas. So you know, I have all of the commas because of the wonderful and smoothly priced files at temperdagle.com. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this, uh, like, I have a friend who likes to make fun of me because I have some skills that are very highly paid, and then I also have some skills that are paid, like, um, you know, he just makes a lot of money every day, and I sometimes, like, invent a thing, and sometimes spend, like, days printing it. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, trimming plastic or whatever. Uh, I don't really... A lot of these things, like, I don't really have the bandwidth or interest in, like, building a factory around, you know. Um, and he's like, what? Can you just, like, do something that doesn't involve days and days of assembly? I've been thinking about it. I've been, like, trying to, like, keep a list of what are the highest paid days that I do. Like, what are those things where, like, somebody will pay me thousands of dollars and do that? Like, there's there's a few of those, uh, but not everybody's canning line can break down every day, you know? Uh, but, yeah, you know, I don't know. Now that I'm a billionaire, I have much more time to think about, like, <laughs> like what what it is that is 
useful and what is not useful. The only thing that I really like came to is like the things that are not like, like I made grips for cameras for $21 forever. And like by the time I pay Squarespace and the, the PayPal processing fees and like market Squarespace, yeah, yeah like I'm not making very much money on those grips, but I like I always wanted to sell them because it's, it's like $21. Like everybody can have one and the more of them out there, like the more like purple grips on a Leica, somebody's gonna be like, "Hey, what's that?" And they'll be like, "Oh, it's a cool site. Like, like I wanted that to happen for years and years, but eventually, like, I didn't want to make them anymore. And so, three uh, D, like, just selling the files has been—it's uh, it's like I get to do less of those things that are like the least efficient things for Ethan to do without having to like build an assembly line, hire people, train them to make the thing, wholesale the thing, you know, like it's, it's just a, it's been a really like lovely, like when, when a sale comes in and like it is auto fulfilled by a computer on a server that I just pay a monthly fee for, you know, rather than, uh, okay, now it's time. I like it's fun to make things. Like that's why I got into this. But, um, yeah, I'm just sort of rambling about this idea that I have of just, just trying to like sell the files for the things that I don't want to make and, uh, worry about making real fun things. As you should. I have a question though, now that you're an internet billionaire and, um, you know, film grip sensation is, do you have a car whose doors open like this or like this? Neither. Uh, I I have a convertible that will not pass, but I'm going to swap the engine in it this spring. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, you mentioned that. I, I like your Cabriolet. Yeah, yeah, the dream car. Yeah, <laughs> except for the smog. That's fair. Well, man, I gotta say, I really appreciate you spending some more time with me. It's been a lot of fun. Um. I hope you had a good time. I did. Thank you for spending time with me. Of course. And uh, everyone stay tuned for um, my camera dactyl giveaway. I'll come up with something. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I got to make something. I'm rolling. Um, no, I'm not I don't know. I'm rolling. Yeah, it'll like you know like, on on Instagram or something wherever the kids hang out now. Maybe on Be Real. I hear that's like a fucking thing now. I don't know. I'm like super old thing? and not hip. Check out Twitter. Actually, no, it'll be on my MySpace. So just look up like you know. <laughs> add my ICQ and then you can find out about it and then like you know. <laughs> just just right, stick bro, to my Instagram. We'll uh, okay. we'll stick to Instagram. Um, but yeah, stay tuned for that. And, um, definitely if you haven't yet, give Ethan a follow, uh, check out what he's been working on. He's got lots of cool projects that he's got there Buy his $7 files and get a 3d printer. Um, then you could be as cool as JP and have sweet buttery pictures like, uh, like he's getting now. Um, and yeah, next week I'm going to have a bell, um, AKA instant flamingo on, uh, just got to spend a whole bunch What's that? Sorry. He's trouble. <laughs> yes. Um, he's, he's amazing. I got to spend some time with him, um, in den for Policon seven. 
And uh, so looking forward to chatting it out with him. And uh, if you have a friend or you want to be on the chat yourself, send me a DM or uh, click on the contact thingy in my profile and uh, we'll get that set up. You don't got to be a billionaire to chat with me. I'm happy to chat with anyone. So, yeah. Uh, thank you again, Ethan, for hanging out with us. And, uh, you know, any parting words for the peeps? Thank you very much, Merlin. You're a sweet boy. Oh, you're the sweetest of all the sweet boys. And so, actually, someone needs to come up with, like, a sweet boy university, like, theme song or something. Or, like, a like a choir thing, like, for sweet boys. Like, you know, like a sweet boy cheer. Yeah. Ethan Moses is not affiliated with sweet boy university, and opinions are not <laughs> for any legal questions please contact uh, ben fradinelli at uh, the instagram <laughs> all right man. take care i appreciate you i love you all uh, stay safe out there